We really enjoyed uh, both LSD and mushrooms. It would it wasn't a regular basis, but we would we would do things to where we don't, as a group we'd we'd get together and and uh, we'd we'd take some some psilocybin or eat some mushrooms, you know, for the evening and have a nice little experience at this huge house that we lived at that we rented. It was kind of this massive house. It's, like, it's kind of like a college house, like an animal house, if you will. And oh yeah, and it was. And I remember I remember there was one time where I was on you know, um, a nice, enjoyable mushroom experience. And I kept on getting fixated on the fact that I could use a telephone to dial a sequence of numbers and talk to somebody who wasn't in the room. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> How's that possible? This is black magic, you know? And Hey, happy Saturday, everybody. Sorry for the absence in the podcast. I've actually been dealing with the flu bug that's been going around, and it knocked me down pretty hard. I, I started feeling bad when I got back to my folks' place here after winter camping last weekend on, on last Sunday, and I've just been down and out all week, and even today I don't, don't feel that great. But I did have a little bit of a moment two days ago where I felt pretty good, and so I got on a call with Craig, and we did a follow-up conversation regarding his podcast that he recorded with Sadie and about how she had an experience in Arizona where she was able to go to a secure legal location and consume psychedelics and how that impacted her life. And we talked about that for a little bit, and then also about my experience in college with both LSD and psilocybin, psilocybin being the component in mushrooms that prompts the the uh, psychedelic experience. And then I also talk about an experience that I had when I was backpacking in the Holy Cross wilderness about a decade ago. So this podcast was fun to record. I was glad to share my experience and how it changed the way that I viewed just my environment around me. And I, I dive into the experience pretty deep. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Let's go ahead and start with episode 32. Thanks for tuning in. I just I just got done recording that video for the stuff we were talking about with the hip issue and and I, you know I didn't realize that you were being affected with that as well. Oh yeah, I, I mean so I'm trying to think about the period I was really doing some heavy logging of miles. So probably between 2014 and 2016, maybe a little into 2017, I was I, I was doing. I was doing serious miles and lower back into hip, into my sciatica, the, you know, the sciatica nerve and, and all that performance, performance stuff. It was debilitating. Like I, it was having to stop and stretch and nothing, nothing was working. And I think the only reason why I'm not suffering now is because of the time I spent in Virginia that I was doing a lot of yoga and just sorting a lot of shit out. I, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I still have tight hips and I still have a, a kind of a sore lower back, but I'm just not logging the miles that I was during that time period. So I'm a lot more comfortable at this point. Nice. Yeah. I, I've noticed, you know, when I, when I came back here in October, and I was like, oh man, my, I'm, I'm just responding great to physical therapy and I'm fine. Well, I think a big reason of that is I wasn't driving. 
you know, I was doing the physical therapy, which was helping, but the big, the, the big change was I wasn't driving every day. I wasn't driving 15, 20, 30 miles every day. And the Colorado driving is different because it's not on flat ground. So you can't set your cruise control and just, and just jam. You have to have your leg in that specific spot and your hip flexor is always engaged. And, you know, you're, you're dealing with varying terrain. So you're pressing more on the gas and you're letting off and you're using the brake and it's just a much more active style of driving. And as a result of it, you know, when I got back on the road and came out there, I, I felt pretty good in when I drove to Gunnison, but I had those icy hot patches on my hip the entire way. But then mm-hmm. once I got out there and started driving more, and then, you know, I went back over to Mount Antero and winter camped and I was driving a bunch over there. It's like everything started, just came right back to where it was. And I, I think that over the past couple of years, you know, I, I was hitting it like you said you were from 2014 to 2016 every day over the last three years I was on the road doing stuff and it's just, it just compounded and got to the point where my hip got so tight. I couldn't do anything without it popping multiple times. Like if I, if I did a full, like brought my knee all the way up to my chest and then extended it all the and extended my leg all the way down, pop a bunch, like two or three times. And it, and each of those pops hurt like crazy. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Am I, is my hip degenerating? And that wasn't the case. It was just that the muscles were so tight around it. It was, it was inhibiting the hip from having full range of motion. I think living this way, I was I was noticing online yesterday. My friends Valerie and and Ben Benjamin from Alaska, they've been on the road for five years, and they just they just finally said, "Hey, we're we're getting off the road. We're we're done with this." So I asked him. I was like, "Oh, you know, or, you know, what's what's going on?" And they both said, "Our back and our hips, you know, are killing us from driving." And and what they did with their business is they have a lemonade stand business, so they travel around in the summertime. They'd hit up all the Colorado festivals every weekend. And then in the winter, they'd head down to like Texas and Tennessee and the warmer weather states and just follow like concerts and festivals down there. And, but they said their bodies, it just got to the point that well, they couldn't do it. And they, they were in a full size van, but they were driving an enormous amount of miles each week. I think for people that are traveling full time like we are and that like on the road full time, it just gets to a point to where you think about it, you're like, man, it's not worth it with the hip. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to see those hip, hip exercises in that video that you said you just produced, because I'm always looking to expand my exercise portfolio for those specific reasons, whether I spend, you know, a lot of time moving forward in my truck, I, I think I need to find more balance in exercise, doing the right kind of exercise and limiting and limiting the amount of time that I spend on the road, just, just a balance. I I don't, I think, you know, where I'm going with it. It's just, I want to spend time on the road, but I certainly am not willing to sacrifice my back, my leg, my walking capacity for moving from point A to point B all the time. That's, that's one thing that I noticed this past year, this past summer, is I was much less physically active compared to last summers, because I would drive to a location, then I'd get there and I'd be in pain. I started thinking like, okay, what's the point of being able to get to these awesome backcountry locations if I can't even get out and walk around and enjoy myself? You know, I don't want to get there and just sit there. And I think Sierra was kind of looking at me like, okay, dude, let's, let's, let's go do something. You know, I just sat in the car forever. Like, I don't want to sit here on a campfire and just, just stare at you. And so I need to find a better balance with that. And I think that maybe what I'll do is, uh, you know, post up in a certain area and just stay there for a couple of days and not drive so often, not, not be so maniacal about, I got to see this and I got to see that because 
you know, when I, when I first got on the road, it was fun to be able to wake up at a new location every day, but physically that's taxing. And for people that aren't living this way, I don't think they understand how, how much that can drain you, especially when you have pain affiliated with, you know, any sort of movement. And, you know, it's, if it's, if it's like finger pains or something like that, that's different. I mean, hip pain, that's like your core. And I think hips or shoulders, you know, you're looking at some pretty limited mobility when those start to tighten up real bad and cause problems. So these, these hip exercises that I do and these stretches that I do, there's, there's one, it's the first one in the video that, that thing, my physical therapist showed it to me two weeks ago. And that thing is definitely by far, it feels the best when I utilize that, you know, with my stretches. So I kind of go through a routine every day. I've got three times a day that I'm doing these physical therapy stuff and it feels great. Like my hips no longer popping. But I, I realize that I'm just now getting out of the woods and I don't want to get on the road immediately and then go right back into that spot. So I think moving forward, possibly down the line, either a different vehicle or a larger camper space in the back is what's going to be needed for me. If I if I end up keeping my truck, which I'd like to do because I really love the capabilities that it has, maybe I'll take off the truck bed and build my own camper box on the back like some people have done. <clears throat> and that way I can increase the width of the back a little bit, maybe make it about six feet wide instead of right now, the truck bed is five feet wide by five feet long. Make mm-hmm. it like six feet wide by six feet long and then have an extension out the back that maybe just pops out another foot. So it'd be seven feet long. And then I'd have a nice place to sleep back there. That's nice and big when I extend it out and then have a pop top on the pop that would be hard sided. And that way it would be a truly four season rig and see what I could do with that. Yeah, I, I think that those those are good considerations. And I we were talking a little bit before today. I I really do think more and more about having that raised top extended back van as my my longer term vision as to how to do this stuff because I it just needs it needs to be easy. It needs to be I, I don't wanna have to find a site and have that setup time as I'm moving around. Cause I, I think that the, the key, at least as far as I've figured out is that when I identify that uh, I need to be doing some stretching, I need to move around. I need to change my position. I, I need to have as little resistance in making that transition as possible. And so sometimes I'll sacrifice, I'll continue to sacrifice my body because I just don't want to deal with the process of setting up. And so when I look and consider an extended van with a raised roof, that really cuts down on the resistance that I can have to be like, all right, I need to get off the road. I need to stand. Maybe I can do some standing desk work or go for a walk or whatever. But I I think it's just going to be one of those as we move forward, as I move forward, I'm going to have to see what works for me right now. I have the luxury of this off the grid situation where I'm not spending so much time in the car and I love it. It's great. But that says, you know, the itch of the road is always gnawing at the back of my head and <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to get back on the road, but it's just, I got to do things smarter. I can't force things anymore. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what I'm realizing as well. And like I was talking to my parents, uh, I was actually talking to my mom just now, and I was I was telling her, I was like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get back into a house full time yet. I mean, eventually I will, but 
I'm not, I'm not there. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Cause I, I feel like I would just be like you said, like itching to get back on the road. And so if I could find a place in the wintertime to take care of, whether it's a, you know, a lodge on forest service land or in a national park or whatever, and do that in the wintertime and be like a wintertime caretaker. And then in the summer, be able to bounce around. Then, then I could take care of my body in a way that I think would be more conducive to, to being able to, to charge it like I like to in the summer and then kind of chill in the winter. If that were the case, then I would, I would definitely find that balance. I think also too, in the wintertime, maybe relocating down to more of a warmer weather climate because the winter climate can kind of sock me in a little bit. And I like, I still want to be outdoors and be active in the wintertime. And I, I've enjoyed it here what, with my time in Kansas so far. Like, you know, last week I went out and did some winter camping next to the Tallgrass Prairie National Preserve, which is that area managed by the National Park Service and also the Wilderness Society here in Kansas. It was beautiful, man. I went back in there and hiked back in about four miles and checked out some of the bison. It's it's one of the last remaining bison herds in the country that's 100% genetically pure because most of the cat most of the bison herds have crossbred with cattle. But there's that one. There's the one up in the Wind Cave. That bison herd is 100% genetically pure. And then the one in Yellowstone Park. That that bison herd is genetically pure. And then then of course the one here in Kansas. So it was cool to see those animals. They were huge. But it's like, you know, when I was up there. Uh, the weather was nice for the first two days. And then the third day it got really cold and it just, it just inhibits being able to do stuff outdoors. So I think like maybe in the wintertime, if I was able to find some place that was a little bit warmer climate and an area that I could possibly do some caretaking of some property, then that, that, that'd be ideal. And then in the summer I could jam through Colorado and Idaho and Utah and a lot of stuff. Yeah. Good, good thoughts. I, I, I did enjoy your post on describing that bison herd and, um, certainly glad to see that you're getting out and about as you're as you're in Kansas. I, I I actually really like cold weather, but I do relate and suffer from the same impulse. Like I want to be outside right now, but the fact of the matter is it's cold, and I can take care of myself when I'm out cold. I mean, out in the the weather, the cold weather, and bundle up and whatnot, but it's having a dog is kind of like having a kid and my, my dog can't hang in the weather like I can. So it's, it's a trade-off thing. And I guess ultimately what it comes down to is I'm, I'm trying to be more flexible and open to what conditions dictate as opposed to forcing things at this point. Yeah. I think it's, uh, and I think realizing in in my own sense, realizing my physical limitations, it's like I'm not getting any younger. You know, I, my recovery time is a little bit longer than it used to be. These these stretches are helping immensely, but it's like I don't want to keep putting myself in the situation where I have to constantly stretch every day. I mean, if I do, that's that's fine and I'll accept it. But there's no reason for me to continually perpetuate that through my own stubbornness. I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, yeah. I. I'm curious. You you mentioned you know you had you had an opportunity to to listen to my interview with Sadie, and you've mm-hmm. also caught my posts on the the Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind with Psychedelics, and mm-hmm. you you shared with me a little bit that you've kind of had your own epiphanies using using psychedelics and, and mushrooms, and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I. Uh... Um, it's something that I've not done recently, but it was, mm-hmm. 
you know, in, in college, when I was at Kansas State University, I lived with a couple of friends of mine and we really enjoyed uh, both LSD and mushrooms. It was, it wasn't a regular basis, but we would, we would do things to where we don't, as a group, we'd, we'd get together and, and uh, we'd, we'd take some, some psilocybin or eat some mushrooms, you know, for the evening and have a nice little experience at this huge house that we lived at that we rented. It was kind of this massive house. It's like, it kind of like a college house, like an animal house, if you will. And, oh, yeah. and it was, and I remember, I remember there was one time where I was on, you know, um, a nice, enjoyable mushroom experience. And I kept on getting fixated on the fact that I could use a telephone to dial a sequence of numbers and talk to somebody who wasn't in the room. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> How's that possible? This is black magic, you know? And, and it was, it was pretty cool. But then the, there was a time after college where I, you know, I didn't, didn't do any of that stuff. and. Uh, and it was always recreational up to that point. Um, you know, when I was in college, we would, uh, it wasn't so much the LSD. It was definitely more the the mushrooms because mushrooms, from my experience, were much easier on the body. And when I was done with the experience, it, you didn't have like a letdown experience. You, did, you didn't feel, you didn't have any headaches. You didn't feel emotionally drained. On LSD, I felt that way. If you have an experience on LSD, it's similar in the psychedelics as far as what your experience would be at least in my my experience it was like that but i noticed afterwards i'd have a, incredible headaches and i just felt spent like emotionally and kind of physically drained mm. so but with mushrooms there was a time after i moved to colorado i moved to colorado in 98 and i hadn't done too much backpacking by myself when i was younger with my parents and my family we would go on these trips and we wouldn't necessarily backpack we'd just do a bunch of day hikes and I wanted to go out and start experiencing backpacking. So two friends of mine that I grew up with in Kansas were living in Colorado as well. And we decided to go do Mount of the Holy Cross, which is a 14er in Colorado. And it's a pretty gnarly hike to get there because we drove to Eagle, Colorado, and then went to the trailhead. And we camped at the trailhead for the first night. And we planned on making this a five-night experience. And my first evening, you know, we were just hanging out by the campfire and we uh, we didn't we didn't take any mushrooms or anything like that, but we decided to hike into Lake Patricia, which is you start at the trailhead. It's at nine thousand feet. You hike up over Notch Mountain, which is thirteen thousand feet. And Notch Mountain is really cool. For those who haven't ever seen Notch Mountain or been in that area, I'll put a link in the in the episode description to where you can just click on it and look at the mountain. It looks like a mountain out of like Lord of the Rings, like where the Eye of Sauron would be located. <laughs> Guys. It has this crazy notch at the top of the mountain, and it looks like that's a place where, you know, if there would be an alien civilization, that's like where they would operate out of. So it's it's a pretty cool place. But anyway, you go over Notch Mountain, and then you drop back down to Lake Patricia, and by that time, you're in, you're in the Holy Cross Wilderness area, so it's very remote. There's no motorized activity. There's no mountain bikes or anything like that. It's just all foot traffic, and it's beautiful back in there, and Lake Patricia is, is amazing. It's this incredible high-altitude lake. I think it's at... I want to say 11,000 feet, but I'm not sure, but it's, it's pretty large and it's just a beautiful area. So we decided to camp there, uh, for the evening and that evening we decided to go ahead and, and, uh, take some, take some mushrooms. So we had a quarter of mushrooms, a quarter ounce of it. So we split it three ways and that's a healthy dose. You know, it's enough to where you definitely feel a, a significant experience and it, it has a way of, um, enhancing your perceptions and just uh, just everything around you looks looks much different but what i noticed was is i felt an immense connectivity to nature 
Like I, I felt like I was plugged in for the, for those who haven't ever experiencing like anything like that, but I've seen the movie avatar when they take that, that thing from the tree and they put it in the back of their heads and they can, they can plug in and feel like they're part of the earth. Like I felt like that. And it was the, it was the most insane experience as far as like, I, I felt like I got it. I'm like, Holy cow, everything's connected. Like the, the trees are growing out of the earth and they're getting water from the sky and the, the rivers here where the water is generated that, that, that runs down downstream and, and feeds the lower grasslands where I grew up and the farms. And then it goes into the ocean, which is where the, where the, you know, immense amount of, of fish live and everything. And it just, it felt like I could, I could see it. I could see it all together. And it was the first time that it all made sense to me. And I really kind of, at that point, I really started to fall in love with nature as far as I, I felt like it was something that we were ignoring and we were missing out on. And I remember I was, I was very deep into my psychedelic experience at this point, And it was probably two hours in and I was walking down a hiking path and I was just by myself, but my, my we were all in the same area, my friends and I were, but I was just kind of doing my own thing as a lot of people do when they're experiencing things like this. And I was walking along and it felt like all the trees knew I was there. It's like they mm. sensed me and I said, it wasn't, I didn't look at a tree as like this stoic thing that has no, has no life force. I like, I looked at it and you could, you could see the life force in the plants, which is, it sounds crazy, but it's not if you experience this. And it, and it looked like when I would look at a tree, I almost felt like it was like kind of leaning towards me and it would turn to notice me that I was there. And, and, and I would notice, I would look at it and say like, that thing's alive. Like, it's not just this plant that's just sitting there. Like it, it has a purpose. It, it, it can think and it has a, a not, I don't know if you want to say soul, but it has like a, a life force. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced something like that. And it, and it really had a profound effect on me on my mind right now. I can totally envision that experience and I can relive it. And it was, it was like a religious experience because I would, I would take leaves and I would look at the leaves and I would be like, man, these leaves have veins like we do. Like they have, you know, like the patterns throughout the leaves. I would look at it and think like, that's like a, these, these are all these things are living. And, and we're, and a lot of times humanity turns a blind eye to it. And I, I think that that's one of the downfalls and one of the pitfalls of a, a technology heavy society, I guess, if I want to say that's what we are, that we rely mm -hmm. so much on technology and our disassociation with nature. It's like the, the way that the systems that we've put in place to operate as humans in the, in the current times, I guess, if that's the best, best way to say it, the, the systems that we put in place create this barrier between us and nature. And we don't even realize this stuff is there. And that, that had such a profound effect on, on just my perspective. And I remember after that, I woke up the next morning, and I was just like, man, I have a totally, I am looking at nature a totally different way now going forward. And, I, and it's, and to this day, it's just had a huge impact on me as far as how I view things. And I, I think that anybody that wants to experience something like that, you know, if you're doing it out in nature, it, to me, it, it I, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't go into it thinking like, Hey, I'm going to connect with nature. I was just thinking, Hey, I'm going to go back there with my buddies and we're going to have a good time. And I came out of it thinking, wow, that was a completely different experience than I anticipated it would be. And it was something that I'm really thankful for. That's pretty cool. How, how do you, now that I, I understand that you're now working your way through Pollen's book, so I'm mm -hmm. I'm curious whether you've had any further insights to that experience because of now what you're what you're reading in Pollen's book. 
Yeah, there's a lot of things in there that it triggers the memories that I had or the experience that I had in reading. For example, he talks about kind of what I just touched on is as far as how in our current society, we've built all these systems to make our life more convenient. But as a result of it and making our life more convenient, we're, we're not as, a, as connectedly associated with nature as we used to be. And I, I feel like it makes our life almost kind of, kind of dull because now that I've had an opportunity to live the way that I have over the last three and a half years of being out in nature so much, I haven't done any psychedelics, but I, but I definitely can feel that connection to nature. Whereas when I was in the corporate world and I was grinding it out, I didn't have that connection with nature and, and, and I would go out in the nature. I'd be like, Oh, this is great. But I didn't really feel it like I do now. And when Michael Pollan talks about how those systems have been set up and that inadvertently we just disassociate ourselves with nature and then we end up destroying it, not even thinking twice about it. It really resonates with me because I think that we're missing the point as a culture and as a society and just as human beings that like we, when it gets down to the base root of it, we're animals mm-hmm. and we came from the earth and it's like, we're, we're not like these, we're not these robots that are, that can operate without nature. If we screw up nature and it's totally destroyed, like we're done and we won't survive as a species and nothing else will on this earth. And so, you know, I was, re- I was watching this thing on television the other night, uh, this exp- expedition unknown. It's like this guy who goes out and does all these cool expeditions. And he was down in, I think Guatemala and they were talking about the different ancient, well, not ancient, but Mesoamerican cultures and ruins that they're finding. And this guy who was in charge of one of the areas where they're doing a bunch of archaeological work said that last year alone, the Guatemalan rainforest lost 22,000, I think, I think it was 22,000 acres of rainforest just due to cattle grazing. They just burned it to the ground so they could feed cattle. And that basin is in charge of 90% of the air that feeds Texas and Arizona. Wow. Like that you know, for the, for the breathing air and for stuff. So it's like, if that goes away, what's Texas and Arizona going to do, you know? And, and I think that if people have an experience to where they're able to go out in nature and whether it's through a guided meditation with somebody who knows what they're doing with, with psychedelics, or if they're just in a good spot and they can go out there and, and have that experience themselves, it just kind of opens your eyes and makes you realize that I think as a society, we've kind of, we've kind of missed the point of, why nature is there and why it's important to conserve it. And I don't want to sound like a, like I'm, you know, on a soapbox and being all hippy dippy or anything, but like we really have missed the point and we've, we, we can learn a lot by being out there. Yeah. I, I, it's, I definitely agree with you. And one of the things that struck me from Pollen's book, and I certainly hear it in your, your own description is that, experiencing psychedelics, whether it's psilocybin, ayahuasca, uh, DMT, LSD, there's an opportunity to uh, dissolve the ego, for lack of a better phrase, and experience a connection with those things around us and to, to realize that we're not separate from everything else and what what really intrigues me about that i i I mean i can there's a lot that intrigues me about it but there's i can certainly relate to 
um, when I'm, when I'm full blown egomaniac, you know, I, I can think it can be a good experience. I can be, I can be very much, um, I can have a sense that there are so many different things that I can do as a human being. And I have, I have gifts of an intellect. I have gifts of ideas and it can be a really powerful experience to be like, wow, I'm, I can create what I want to create. And you see, you see extraordinary business people and others doing that. So you can, if you want to like, look at someone like Elon Musk, if you want to look at someone like Jeff Bezos, if you want to look at someone like, like Donald Trump, you know, that these, these people are, they're, they're creative thinkers and they have a vision as to what they want to create. And by force of will, which I see as, as a function of the ego, amazing things happen. And I, I experience that on, on my own personal level where, you know, I can choose to go do X, Y, Z, and actually I can get that done. But when, when it's out of balance, when I'm totally consumed by that ego and I don't recognize the, the sacredness, the, the equal amount of, of sacredness that nature has and the universe has, I think that that's when it gets out of balance. And that's what I hear you describing when, when you did have a, that experience in the past where you recognized when taking uh, psilocybin that trees have leaves that have veins and that there's a feeling, a strong feeling of a connection. And I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I, I certainly can extrapolate that it, it, sound, it sounded like you, you experienced a reduction in your own ego in your, your own, you know, the, the glory of Brian Gallion. And you started yeah. to identify <laughs> that there's, you know, glory in, in the things around us. And so I, I guess my, you know, my, my personal interest in psychedelics, I, it is more focused on, on that mental health aspect that I've talked about in the past where I, I do recognize that I have an overblown ego and that causes me problems. And, and I, and so I, I hyper focus on my own problems and, mm -hmm and I'm out of balance. And, and so my, my interest in psychedelics is, you know, can it be a tool to help me reduce my hyper, my, my, my oversized ego, my over, uh, connection to my ego, can it help guide me to a more balanced set of things? And, and I certainly hear a positive story out of your experience where you, your experience in identifying, again, this is my phrase, not yours, but the glory and the sacredness of nature and the connection with nature, um, that gives me all, all the more intrigue and curiosity to perhaps pursue this in the future um, for my for my own exploration and my own. And, and that was one of the things that came out of the conversation with Sadie was that it seems like psychedelics 
have the power to meet you where you're at. And, and so in other words, they, they deliver the message, an individual, an individualized message to the user. So you, you receive that, that message of connection with nature. And I'm, I'm sure the message that then the experience that I would have would be individualized to kind of where I'm at. But, um, I just, again, I'm, I'm, it certainly is a subject that I'm really, really interested in. And, and you relaying your experience only, only increases that, that intrigue and curiosity. Yeah. I, I want to add to the comments that I made uh, just prior to, to talking there was that when I was in the forest and having this incredible experience, like I didn't think about myself once. Mm. I just thought, I just thought what amazing what what an amazing time it is just to be here right now and I didn't have any of the worries of of the the job that I was in I was I was in a pretty stressful tech job at the at at that time it was the internet boom and we were riding that wave and it was just go a million miles an hour and I can tell you I didn't think about that once I didn't have any barrier I I remember afterwards thinking like I didn't think about any of my barriers during that time because I would always kind of go through in my head like well, I'd like to do, you know, when I wasn't on, on psychedelics, I'd like to do this, but I can't because X, you know, mm. I can't do it because of this limitation that I have, or I'm not there yet because I haven't done that yet. Or I can't, or I can't go to this next level in my career because of this. And I didn't think about any of that at all. And I remember, I, re, I do remember during the experience thinking like things are connecting in my head now and thoughts, thoughts are connecting in my head that I didn't think were possible. And I, I, I looked at, I looked back on that when I was done as like, Hey, that gave me new perspective and it allowed me to think outside of my normal constructed processes that I programmed my mind into thinking so I could operate in life. It made me think outside that box and it allowed me to realize stuff that I may have been missing in life or stuff that I hadn't truly appreciated, like, like the connection to nature and and another thing I was thinking when I was out there, and I've mentioned this in the past, I think to you when we weren't talking on a podcast or anything, but like I'll be back in nature now. And, and this this fully comes from that experience that I have, but I'll be like, you know, all the problems that are going on in the world that, that humans trouble themselves with, and I'm back here and the trees don't care, the water doesn't care, you know, the the mm-hmm. the, the, the fish don't care about who tweeted what or who posted what on social media. I mean, and it's just like, it's like we, we tend to wrap ourselves up in things that really don't matter. And we, we, we have a tendency to, and I do this, a tendency to dedicate a ton of energy and time towards something that really is just nothing. And when I was back there in the Holy Cross wilderness area on psychedelics, it was just a, it was an eye opener for me in the sense that it allowed me to think that, okay, there's a different way to, to process life. And just because I'm beholden to this one idea doesn't mean I can't possibly alter my thinking or change course in the future, you know, because I, yeah. I think, I think over life, at least I was guilty of doing this up until that point, I was thinking like there's one way to live and it's my way or the highway. And a lot of people will, I think can relate to that to where you could get stuck in a mindset saying, well, if you're going to do it, you got to do it this way. And it, and it's like, no, I, there's a, there's a saying that I, or a, a proverb that I saw a while back that said, you know, there's a, there's a hundred different ways to get up the mountain and, and each can choose their own path. 
And the only person wasting the time is the one running around the base of the mountain telling everybody that his or her way is wrong. Mm. And, and it's, and that's true because I did that for a long time. I used to tell people, well, no, if you're going to, if you're going to do life, you got to do it this way. Well, that's my prescription to life that and it's based on my experiences and I could be wrong. And I had to realize that. And when I was able to have that experience, you know, on psychedelics, uh, that, that experience on psychedelics and in, in the Holy Cross wilderness area, that, that was my first introduction into like, like, Hey man, just because you think the certain way, that's not the way life is for everybody. And it's okay to, to change gears and, and broaden your perspective and not just hold on to these old ideals that I thought were the way that you, or the way that I would operate in life. It was, uh, it, it, it definitely expands your mind. And for those who haven't ever done psychedelics, I think they hear stories of, oh, it's like the hippie drug and you get on it and you see like crazy dragons in the air and all that stuff. Well, that's, that's never been my experience. I have had it to where I've listened to music and it before the music even comes out, it's weird to say this, but like I could be listening to a song that I'd never heard before and I'll know what the next note will be, which I mm. think is very strange. And to have that sort of like, it was almost like I could see the music in the air. If that makes any, that doesn't make any sense. I'm sure. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've heard, I, I, I've heard people describe it that way. Yeah. And it's strange. It's like, you're like, man, I am, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the frequency in the air of noise. And, you know, it just, it just makes you think, okay, there's, there are, there is a organic substance out there, especially in psilocybin being organic and coming from the earth and coming from mushrooms, which if you listen to anything from Paul Stamets, uh, talks about how all life came from mycelium, which is, you know, the mushroom and it's, or from fungus. And it's just interesting to, to think that, that as humans, we all, we like to pride ourselves on, we, we know everything and we don't, we don't know. We don't know very much when it comes right down right. to it. You know, we, we may know computers and we may know how to operate an iPhone and we might know how to drive some cars and stuff like that, but that's it. And there is so much more out there that our minds could be exposed to. And as long as, as long as, uh, you know, you do it in a safe setting and, and I think everything in moderation, the great thing about, about any sort of psychedelics is it's not addictive. And so it's not like a, a substance such as a narcotic or anything like that to where you could seriously get in physical harm with it. You know, if you, if, if somebody wants to experience with this stuff, I would, I would definitely encourage them to do so and, um, and, and see what comes of it because it, it can definitely be an eye opener. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree with all of that. And I, I would also, um, you know, being, so I, I did experiment back in, back in my younger days, you know, late teens and early twenties with psychedelics, but it was strictly for recreational purposes. I was, you know, I, I was just in a completely different state of mind. So I, I don't, um, you know, if that's what you want to do for recreational purposes, I, you know, I can't judge anybody for doing that because I did that, but I can say now from my mid forties that were I to revisit that kind of activity, what would be really important to me would to bring, would be to bring clear intentions. So what I, so that I, I would want to bring a constructive intention to the process as opposed to just, I want to go have a good time. And, mm -hmm. you know, having conversations like this with you and with Sadie and reading Michael Pollan's book. And I, 
I really encourage anyone out there who's skeptical and saying to themselves, you know, Craig and Brian are going off on the deep end on this, having this discussion, read, read the book because there's a lot of peer reviewed, high minded research being done on psychedelics and the impacts of psychedelics. And it's being done at John Hopkins. It's being done at MIT. It's being done at Berkeley. Um, it's, it's a legit area of investigation for a lot of really, really intelligent people that are also taking into consideration, is, is this a dangerous thing? How can it be a dangerous thing? How do we control it from being a dangerous thing? And how do we maximize the best results? So um, I, I certainly resonate and, and agree with your statement about people wanting to explore this stuff. But I, I do, I guess, having, having the background that I have and kind of gone, having gone off the deep end on, on you know, use of, of alcohol and marijuana as a means of escape, I, I, I would just add on to it. Don't, don't use it as a means of escape but but use it as as a tool and if you're at all in doubt as to how to do that do do the investigation read read Pollen's book talk to other people who have done it to make sure that you do it in the right way and i i mean this is coming from me you can you can have your own opinion anyone that's out there that's looking at it from a recreational standpoint being being the guy in his mid forties who's prematurely going gray and all that shit, <laughs> I would <laughs> uh, I would just strongly encourage you to you know take a more modest, humble approach and and don't think that you're an indestructible and and there isn't danger in in any decision that you think about pursuing for recreational purposes. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point, and and I I would add to that I I think going into it looking to gain perspective as looking as opposed to like trying to see if like you see the you know the the face on the moon or you know or, or whatever. <laughs> right. There was one time where I thought I saw I thought the, I thought I saw the stairway to the moon, and people were like, "Yeah, Brian, you're kind of going overboard." But <laughs> but uh, but but I think that going into it, just looking to gain perspective and, and doing it in a setting that I think is conducive to it. I, I wouldn't recommend doing that in like the, in like an urban setting or the city. I know some people that like to do it at concerts, but that's a little bit different because you're, you're being immersed in music. But I, I think that if, um, if you're out in nature and, and maybe, maybe like the, the place that Sadie said that she went to with that church and the controlled environment, mm. Was it in Arizona? Is that where that was? Yeah, there and and in the podcast notes, I, I think it was podcast thirty-one. I we we included that peyote church in oh, in the notes, yeah. and and it is in Arizona. Okay, cool. And from what I understand from listening to that podcast, there's other places similar to that across the country. I think that are approved to where you can actually go there and it's legal so that you're not, you're not breaking the law to where it's a considered a religious experience. And then that way you're, you know, you're around people that have done it before. And if anything comes up that maybe is a challenge, you know, they can help guide you through it because I don't think that going into it blind and just going, I'm going to have the best experience in my life. And then 
possibly having too much or uh, or a bad experience, you know, that that can happen. So I think that going into it with a little bit of caution and also some research before having an experience is definitely definitely important. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. Yeah. So check check out podcast 31 in the notes. We we list out all that stuff. Well, what do you what do you say we wrap up the conversation? I you you had you had posted something a little while back that you you were doing some upgrades, some moderate upgrades to your truck. Yep. Um, I'm curious to hear about that. And then I also wanted to share, you know, some of the the impact that my new tires are are having on my oh, own truck. Yeah. yeah, I'm just adding um, some lighting to my trucks. It, it was the stuff that I was going to do before I had all those issues this past summer with the engine and then the subsequent uh, stuff. Oops, sorry, that's my reminder to do the physical therapy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> three times a day. Uh, it, so what I'm doing... Yeah. Yeah. I got to stay on top of it. Um, what I'm doing is I've got a a light bar across the front, the roof of my truck, you know, the, the front part there, I've got a 50 inch light bar coming, uh, two light pods for the back that are the, these are like the led light bars, the 50, um, 50 inch one across the front, two pods in the back for either side of the truck topper that kind of face out at a 45 degree angle. I've got a Mm -hmm. worn wench coming for my bumper. It's 8,000 pound wench. And then I have uh, the secondary battery. I'm going to finally finish that up. I ordered the components. They haven't come in yet. And then once I get them, uh, there's an RV shop here in Kansas that's going to wire that up. So that's, that's what I have coming on for my truck. And then eventually I've been researching online how to, how to take off the truck bed and then build my own box on the back, which is what, I'll, which is, which is what I think my, my next version will be of the truck camper, but that, that probably won't come until later in the year, if not next, next winter or something like that. Nice. So how did you, so what, what's, how did you decide where to put your your lights and and who's the make of of the the lights that you're you're adding on? Okay, so extremeterrain.com, the, it's a company that that messaged me and said, "Hey, you know, we put forth this uh, we have this Clean Trails grant, which is a $250 grant that they award out to different individuals that want to go out and do trail work." And so they asked me, they said, "Hey, if you're interested in promoting this to your network, then we'll give you a little bit of a credit for lights or whatever you want on our website. And so they actually just started doing stuff for Tacomas, bumpers, light bars, anything really winches, you name it. They've got it all for Tacomas. And they, they initially started out, they were doing stuff just for Jeeps, but now they've expanded into the Tacoma realm, which is great. And so I said, Oh, oh awesome. That'd, that'd be fantastic. And so they offered me a little bit of a credit. So I I used that to to get some of the the lights, and then I put some additional funds toward it to get the winch and all that other stuff. And it's it's Raxium R A X I O M, which is the light bar company that I went with. It's just on their website. If you go to extremeterrain.com, you can select either Jeep or Tacoma, and then you know depending on which vehicle you have, you can you can sort by year, and it will tell you what fits on your vehicle. And so. Uh, I put in all the information and those seemed like they came highly recommended. I looked up reviews independent of that website just to see what it was like on Amazon and everything rated out above four stars. So I thought, well, that's, that's good stuff. So I went with that, uh, the worn winch for the, for the bumper, the front bumper that I have, I have that really big ARB front bumper and there's only Mm -hmm. a few types of, there's only a few types that can fit that because the, the housing component where you, where you actually place the winch inside the bumper is a certain size. And so you can't just buy any winch that you want off the internet. You have to buy certain ones that fit it. 
So Warren has some winches. There's a few others. I think Smitty Built has a few winches that fit it. So I just went with Warren because they're the Warren winches is, is very, very highly recommended. They've been around forever. And then as far as the secondary battery is concerned, you know, I've already had that inverter. And then I, I went with your suggestions on your blog post on your on your website, ColemanRoadJournal.com. I went through the the deal where you talked about your electrical system and said, okay, well, I'll order this gauge of wiring and all those things. And mm. I, I, like I said, I have yet for it to come in. I think it's coming in. It should be coming in before Christmas, I think. I'll have to check tracking. But uh, oh, yeah. I'm excited to get that. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to get that stuff and get it all set up. And the secondary battery is going to be great, especially like what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. If I stay in one spot for more than a day or two, well, I want to have that power. You know, I want to have it to where I'm not pulling from my the the current inverter in my vehicle, which is only only able to be used if my truck is running. I don't want to have to run my truck at, at camp for an hour or two and have the engine just go. So it'll be nice to have that secondary battery. And, I, and I've got a few solar things that BioLite sent me, which is great. That solar panel 10 plus is really nice to use. I can get about three charges off of the battery that's included that's built into that solar panel on uh, three charges of my iPhone and then a couple mm-hmm. charges off the a couple charges for that new Canon uh, camera that I have but then if you just lay it out it has a 10 watt continuous power source that can come from it which is great so I can just sit there while it's in the sun and I can charge up all my stuff and then that battery bank that charge 40 battery bank that thing's awesome so I'll charge that up during the day too and then I have those things so it's like nice to have a couple different power options and uh so that's that's what i'm doing from upgrades so what what, what about your tire what'd you get yeah that that sounds pretty sweet yeah so i i ended up going with the bf goodrich all-terrain ko2s um and they're they're a light truck tire and and so they They've got 10 ply on them and and in comparison to like a regular vehicle i I think a regular vehicle tire only has, I think it's only like four to six ply. So the, the light truck tire I'm psyched about because it's going to be, it's going to be stiffer, which I I don't care about that. But on the plus side, it's, it's just going to be that much more robust. It's not going to get punctured as easily or pop or blow out on the sides. I'll be able to carry more weight without having, you know, having issues. So that's that's great and then the the tire itself and the the expanded ability that i've got to crawl around in the snow so it's not a snow tire but i am a freaking monster truck now with these tires on it's awesome i mean i don't you know before when i was ascending my um the the driveway that that's here at the ranch I I had to switch it to four low and I had to lock the rear differential and I was barely getting up it. And now I, I, I can keep it in four high and I'm just crawling right up it. It's, it's, it, I feel nice. like Spider-Man in, in these things. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's so mm-hmm. awesome. And then I, I did go up in size. So the tires that I've used in the past were the Cooper discoverer all-terrain um, and I, they, they were great tires. Um, don't get me wrong, but the, the size tire that I had and they, they weren't light truck tires. So I, I, every once in a while I would, I would get a puncture and 
that would be annoying and and um you know i'd have to go get that fixed but the tire size that i had with the cooper discoverers they were 265 meaning and that's the width of the tire and they were 75 so that's that's the distance from the end of the rim to the outside of the tire and they were 16 the they were for 16 inch rims so though the 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 BF Goodrich all-terrain KO2s that I have they're 285s so they're a wider tire they're still the 75 which is that distance from the end of the rib edge of the rim to the you know to the outside of the tire and they're they're still 16 inch rims but the the 285 millimeters of width on the tire that you know that's just giving me more surface area to grab and it's i'm just experiencing a huge difference with that the one of the i I, you know downsides or one of the the consequences of having the wider tire there is a little bit of rub that i can get when i do a hard turn to the left or a hard turn to the right that the tire Mm -hmm will rub against the upper control arm. But in having the conversations with the various people that I, I know who know a lot about trucks, I'm, I'm willing to just accept that as I, I just need to be careful of that and, and not jam it to the left or the right as, as much as I can. I mean, I, I, it's going to happen but it's not that big of a deal. And as the tires wear a little bit, it won't be that big of a deal. But mm-hmm. what I learned, because I, I was like, well, you know, do I, can I, can I change it with having, I have uh, adjustable shocks on the front, the Bilstein 5100s, and you can ratchet those up or down, you know, based on your needs. And, but what I learned is that that's not actually going to prevent the rubbing the only thing that would prevent the rubbing really would be inserting a spacer to extend the tire out. And when I say out, I mean away from the axle. So that's an option that would prevent the rub against the upper control arm. But the downside of that is the you know the the Tacoma and the engineering geniuses that put together the Tacoma you know they're they're designed within a certain specification and by pushing the wheels further out from the axis um the the axle you'd be putting more stress on the bushings and other elements of the suspension that it wasn't designed to to handle. So the, the specifications for the Tacoma, um, I think the original ones were to have the width 265, the two, uh, 75, and then 16 inch rims. And what I learned was that the upper threshold for that width of the tire is 285. So you don't want to go more than if you want to stay within the engineering specifications. You don't want to go outside of plus 20. So I'm right at the edge of that. So um, anyway, I'm loving the tires. I'm feeling like I can climb up walls and bring on, bring on the snow, baby. 
those things are those things look look great on your truck, man. And I, I think Thank too you. that in this, yeah, in the summertime, you know, once the trails open up and get up in the high country, some of those areas around Lake City, you're going to notice such a huge difference in the backcountry. Yeah, like you said, you know, you put it in four wheel high or four wheel low, and you can go anywhere. And you know, I don't have a locker on the back of my truck. I have a limited slip differential on the 2005, but I don't. It's not. It's not technically a locker. I've never once been stuck. I go on some gnarly trails. And what I'll do is, is I'll actually air down my tires a little bit mm. instead of running at 32 PSI. I'll take my tires down to about 20 PSI if it's on a real bumpy trail and it just rides like butter, man. You're just cruising along and the tires with the 10 ply wall, which is what I have can take a beating and you know, you're not going to damage the tire at all by airing down to about 20 PSI and it just makes the ride so much better. And then you have more surface area since the tire is not as inflated as much. You have more surface area that's actually in touch with the ground and your grip is insane. So that helps on snow too. So if you ever get in really bad snow conditions, you can always do that. Nice. Well, I'll um I'll finally be able to keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it happen. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, man. baby. All right. Well, I'd I'd say this was a good conversation, man. It's it's good catching up with you and look forward to hearing what your plans are for Christmas. Yeah, no doubt. We'll 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 pump out another podcast soon, but I'm definitely psyched to I'm gonna I'm gonna go get in my truck right now and go go tear some tear some stuff up. <laughs> go do some donuts in the in the backcountry there. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> All right, dude. Have fun. All right, man. Later. <laughs>